0: From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another
1: Capital Idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. Hello, this is Michael Williams with the Defenders of Capitalism Project with our Capital Idea Project podcast, and I'm joined in the studios here with my friend and co-host Mitch Whitest. How are you doing, Mitch?
0: I'm doing very well, Mike. Thanks for asking.
1: You're joining us within the studios of the Liberty Cast Studios in Centennial, Colorado, adjacent to the Green Dragon Tavern, and that's an interesting historical reference. Back to the founding of this country, and that kind of relates to one of the topics that I thought we should talk about, Mitch. How does capitalism relate to democracy? I've heard a lot of people, especially it seems like in the last couple of years, uh, talk about the ideal of democracy and and how important it is and, and really equating the American system with this idea of democracy. And that's certainly understandable. Why do people feel such an affinity toward this idea of democracy, of people voting and being able to be represented by their votes and one man, one vote, uh, one person, one vote type of ideas. I think that ideal is important to discuss. And uh, I think it's important for people who are advocates of freedom and certainly free markets and capitalism to understand that more clearly. Um, So that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today is how does the idea of democracy connect to capitalism, connect to Americanism or the American system and what are some of the confusions that people have? It's amazing to me how uh, this idea of democracy has been almost worshiped in a sense for, for decades or maybe even most of the country's history. And it's understandable. Uh, people want to be free. They want to actually have freedom and they, they associate the, this ideal of Americanism
0: with the idea of voting you have a perspective on that yourself? Yeah, I think, Mike, what we first should do is maybe define our terms, because democracy has been in the news, especially recently, you know, the January 6th event at the Capitol building, and uh, just very recently, uh, President Obama came out and said our democracy is under attack. A lot of people have said that. This word democracy is thrown around a lot. And what I want to make sure is that you define what you mean by this word democracy, because for most of us, democracy is equivalent to freedom. You want more freedom. You need to make sure that there is more democracy. So what do you mean when you say that word? So I think it's important to go
1: back historically to, to, the roots of, of a word and what it means. And de- democracy, the root word is demos or the people, right? The people get to vote or the rule of the people. Um, and it goes back to really ancient Greece and Athens, um, the rule of the people, the rule by the people, a form of government where issues are decided by a popular vote. where, where they, and, and they literally had this in, in Athens where you know, hundreds of people would uh, get together and vote on the most minute issues of the day, uh, and that's how they decided. And so that's a lot of people do uh, connect that to freedom, and it certainly is reasonably connected to freedom. Uh, now, if you don't, if you have only one person who makes all the decisions, you know, what do you, what do we call that? Well, we call that you know tyranny, or or uh, certainly an autocracy, or maybe a monarchy. You know, uh, where you've got one person who decides all the issues. Uh, and how people should live um, so it's natural for us to associate you know no we shouldn't have this king or emperor or pharaoh ruling us we should be able to rule our own lives and and in that sense if we get a vote then that feels like it's self-rule uh, and it's connected to self-government being able to have some say having a say in the whole process of how we 're governed But that is the formal definition of democracy. It's the rule by the people, and uh, and a formal democracy really means you know just as long as you've got fifty one percent. If you've got fifty one percent who agree with you and will vote with you, then that's the decision that rules. Um, So that's that's sort of the uh, the formal definition, and you know a lot of times people use this phrase of the will of the people. The The will of the people should not be denied. It's, uh, you know, the majority should be able to say what goes down. Um, But there are some problems with that. There's some confusions with that. Does that help as far as a formal definition?
0: Yeah, I think it does, Mike. And I want to make sure that I understand what you are saying, which I think what you're saying is the idea, this concept of freedom and liberty is not synonymous with the word democracy even though when it's thrown around today when we use the word democracy generally we're talking about quote-unquote free countries but most people mean it that
1: way i don't yes i I, I, and and i i sometimes perhaps make the mistake of of uh being just contrary and say you know wait you know that's not what a free country means at all in fact it's the opposite and one question that, that I think we should explore in today's episode is, is talking about is democracy, does democracy really capture the essence of the original American system or the American system as, as we know it today or as it should and ought to be, um, is that whole idea of majority rule, uh, is that essential to the American system? Well, in one sense it is, and in another sense it isn't, and that's what I want to explore a little bit. Um, the The idea that it's associated with the idea of voting a lot of times. You know, I, I get some say in my life and I get a, I get a vote on what happens in terms of the, the laws I live under. And certainly the idea of uh, people being able to vote versus not having to vote is a good thing um, as adults. Now, that's a whole different – it's a whole different thing. There are people out, out there who are advocating for – democracy for younger and younger age people or even children you know they're they're human beings too why don't they get a say um uh, that's a different issue but certainly the idea of it shouldn't you shouldn't be um you know white male and that that means you get a vote or um the idea of opening up the vote to more individuals uh no matter their race or gender Uh, was uh, a good historical thing. But is that still the essence of what the American system is? And that's that's
0: one thing I want to talk about with you. So, I've got a couple of questions then for you, Mike. And the first one is, what you're saying is that we can say, because I think generally people say, well, if you're not pro-democracy, then you are pro-authoritarian. And what you're saying is that you can be skeptical of what you're saying is this true form of democracy, but also still be pro-freedom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point to make. It's a false alternative in my mind to say that you're either for majority rule in every case, which is democracy, versus uh, tyranny or authoritarianism or a dictatorship. That's a false alternative. You can be for voting in certain circumstances and – democratic rule in terms of who you select as your, uh, government officials, but there should be, and this is what the key thing that I think the founders understood, um, was there's only so many things that the government officials should have power over and therefore only so many things that the demos, the, the people should be able to vote on in terms of what the government officials can do and be authorized to do. Um, there were, Many different measures that the the founders articulated, both in the Declaration and certainly codified in the Constitution, that were profoundly undemocratic. Uh, that were designed to slow the mob down or slow the majority down, and be much more deliberative. And I can give you several examples of that. Certainly, the sh- separation of powers concept. Um, if we if we were to be ruled fundamentally by democracy, then why you know why not just have the House of Representatives? Why have a Senate in the first place? Why have two houses? Uh, we elect the you know by majority we elect our representatives, and even then that itself is not a pure democracy, right? We're we're electing representatives, and that's partly where the term republic comes from. Representative. Um, so we we never lived in a pure democracy. We, in my view, are moving more and more ominously toward that as, as more and more of the separations of powers have been eroded or taken down. But that concept of separation of powers, checks and balances, is undemocratic. The Electoral College itself was undemocratic. Now, there are many people certainly uh, on the, quote, Democrat side or the left side who are trying to do away with or erode the Electoral College. Um, but that was a—, a an instrument of saying no we're not going to have just the popular vote rule as i mentioned before having two houses of congress originally the senate was chosen by the state legislatures not by quote the people that has changed i view that as uh the 17th amendment which basically said no we're going to have popular election of senators uh, i view that as a move toward more democracy and not a good thing uh, and, and probably Perhaps the most undemocratic institution in our government across the board is the, the idea of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court itself had, and, and justices in general, uh, you know, having a lifetime appointment, which means that they can't be removed because of some you know, whim of the majority today. They can't be taken out of office. Uh, and they, they rule on lots of things that affect our daily lives, Uh, without having to answer to the people once they're appointed, once they're on the bench. They they don't have this uh, democratic uh, mob looking over their shoulders saying, well, we we want you to do this, and otherwise we're going to take you out of office or take you off the bench. Um, So again, my view is that it's a false alternative, and and certainly uh, what's helped America be the wonderful, free, rights-protecting society that we have today, even though, again, I've, my view is that it's eroding, uh, has been, in many cases, the anti-democratic institutions that we have that say, no, we, we, what's important is individuals and individuals against mobs or against majorities. Uh, so the founders were trying to protect both the rule of law and the rights of the individual from certainly the government but the, the mob as well, the majority. Uh, they were trying to protect the individual and having individual rights that were, quote, unalienable, and they meant it. They, they, they didn't say, well, unalienable unless 51% vote, vote for it. Um, you know, to give some concrete examples, I mean, in extreme cases, well, if we... And, I, and I've asked this to people before, and it's amazing to me the kind of responses or confusion that people have. If I ask you, Mitch, well... Let's assume that the majority of Americans over time decided that, you know, we really should have slavery. We want to go back to that institution of slavery. And you could and somehow you, the majority decided that was a good idea. And let's say they followed all the processes and procedures of getting that kind of law passed. And it, and it was found to be constitutional by the Supreme Court. Would that make it right? Because it was instituted
0: by a majority I think that brings up a really good point Mike and if I am hearing you correctly the reason why having a republic not to be confused with republican party by the <laughs> especially way especially today right especially today but the reason why you're saying a republic is superior to this democracy is because a republic really engenders a nation of law rather than a nation ruled by the whims of mankind exactly exactly and 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 the law has to have a particular
1: form and a particular purpose i mean the the form is that it it has to have certain attributes where it's written down and clear and understandable by the by the populace it has to be publicly known it has to it has to be stable and, and internally consistent. Uh, these are all attributes that uh, the legal profession and, and legal theoreticians recognize historically as this is what works. This is this is the the form of what the law should be, and it shouldn't be re- retroactive. You can't say, okay, after the fact, we passed a law that you, you know, long ago broke, and so now we're going to arrest you. You didn't know anything about it. So there's all kinds of things that the, that are the attributes of the form of the law. But more, more importantly than that is it has to have a certain purpose. It has to have a certain mission. And a republic, properly speaking, is one that has those forms but has the mission or the purpose of protecting individual rights. That's that's what freedom means. Individuals being able to do what they want with their lives. That's what self-government means. Self-government doesn't mean, can I get a bunch of my buddies to vote to take your stuff? It means, I get to rule my life. And as long as I'm not interfering with your life or anyone else's or violating someone else's rights, then I'm self-governing and I can do what I want. That's what freedom means. That's what the founders had in, in mind. And I, and I think they were, they were correct in that regard.
0: Something else that you spoke about a little bit ago too, Mike, you're bringing up examples of undemocratic institutions that were implemented at the nation's founding, several of which have now become more democratic. So, for instance, the Senate, right, originally elected by the state legislatures, now, essentially, it's a smaller House of Representatives. We have two chambers that are House of Representatives. Going back to the purpose of our podcast, which is talking about capitalism, why is it bad now that our legislative branch is two Houses of Representatives?
1: well again it, it 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 becomes more of a a process of actually having the emotion of the the culture at the time be able to pass laws quicker versus having a senate that is not answerable directly to the people in that way to be it, it's designed to be a more deliberative uh chamber the house is supposed to rep- represent the people and they're their desires and their views on a fairly immediate basis. That's why they're elected every two years. They're more answerable, quote, to the people, to the will of the people. Um, and that's a that's a good thing. Uh, you don't want this elite group of people making laws and not have to answer to their constituents. So that was the original idea behind the House. But as you say, now the Senate, even though it you know, they they don't have to run quite as frequently, they still have the six-year terms. Although there are many people who are, quote, uh, Pro democracy, who are actually wanting to change that and be, have it be much more like the the house, but the original idea was to have them be more deliberative and not subject to the whim or the emotion or the short sightedness potentially of the people. And here's a good example from ancient Greece. And I know I'm, I'm bringing up uh, you know some historical examples, and I apologize that f- for if some of our younger listeners are like, ah, that just doesn't apply, that's old news, but it's interesting that. In Athens, there were examples of, because it was a, a democracy, there were examples of where their generals would be maybe really brave uh, and victorious generals who would come home and have defended Athens from the barbarians or from, from uh, you know, some other uh, invader, and they were successful. And so everyone would cheer them on and say, we want that person to be you know, our ruler. But then later on, for some reason or other, they would feel like, oh, this, is, this guy isn't doing what we want him to do, so we're going to banish him. You know and they would send their generals off and, and into exile for, to another country, and literally maybe two years later say no we want that guy back and we'll vote have <laughs> we'll him come back, and it was whimsical you know uh, based on this this emotion of the moment versus um, any kind of reasoned process or as I say liber- more deliberative process. Um, so the Senate uh, in the context he asked the question why the, what's the connection between capitalism. And any of these democratic or anti-democratic institutions that I've talked about, I mean, capitalism is that system that protects individual rights, including property rights. And that's a big piece of it. What people uh, don't realize oftentimes or don't make a conscious connection to, even though they live their daily lives this way, certainly Americans live their daily lives this way, is that you you can't have the pursuit of happiness truly without uh, being able to acquire and dispose of some property. That's, that's virtually impossible for a human being to do. Um, and so property rights are essential, crucial for a free people. And that is the connection to capitalism. You want to have the protection of people being able to self-govern and dispose of uh, their property the way they want to. Again, that's not what we have today. We have um, lots of institutions that have... by government, violated our rights, uh, taking our property property away for what they are rulers or maybe the majority considers to be a higher purpose. That's a violation of individual rights. And this is the connection to capitalism. Having a republic that is properly understood, that has the right kind of idea of what the rule of law means um, and the purpose of protecting individual rights is a major contribution to freedom, human freedom and flourishing.
0: And a lot of people, I think, will say ancient Greece was a long time ago. My, you know, ancient Rome, we hear a lot about these generals too, who sacked Rome, you know, by the end of the Republic, they're sacking Rome every few years. But that's a long time ago. Humanities evolved. Systems have evolved. We're beyond that now. So aren't we beyond that now?
1: Well, people were saying that uh um just a few decades ago with the uh, with the third Reich. I mean, that was a a a government that was popularly elected by the people. Um and it certainly violated rights. Uh, it's an example of and there are there are certainly other even today. I mean, okay, uh, Nazi Germany is uh, for some young people very long ago itself. Um, But it was not that long ago. It wasn't. And, and, you know, um, there are many people, rightly so, I mean, certainly many Jewish people, rightly so, have this phrase of never forget, right? I mean, and I think that's a a, a rational thing, especially if you were a persecuted uh, Jew or minority or gay person in in Nazi Germany um, and that's been passed down culturally to you and, and people say, you know this is something we can't forget we have to remind ourselves that this is possible um it isn't that long ago and and but but that's that's part of the problem with our education system today is that you know history isn't learned from and isn't taught properly uh many people think that the founders were were or, you know that was long ago and they were irrelevant and in a sense they were they were anti democratic which I'm saying yeah they were for the right reasons um uh the mistake of saying that only white guys can vote, um, shouldn't be attributed entirely to the founders. That was something they inherited. That was, that was a tradition that was inherited for thousands of years. Um, and they made it possible to be able to say, no, more people will have more freedom by and instituting uh, a system that actually could get rid of uh, slavery and could get rid of discrimination against women. I mean, capitalism This is maybe uh, a little bit tangential, but the capitalism is the system that actually has been better for uh, and has allowed more minorities and more poor, poor people uh, to change their station in life and to, and to achieve happiness and freedom and flourishing than any other system on the face of the planet. And it's just plain uh, obscene how That's the opposite is taught in many schools and universities today.
0: So, that's my next question, though, Mike, is that these founding fathers, as you said, you know, what they did at the nation's founding, you said that's timeless, basically. But a lot of people say, well, yeah, guess what? A lot of these guys, they own slaves. And now we recognize slavery as wrong. So, can't we also say that? the electoral college system that they implemented, can't we say that's wrong too? And isn't it okay that we can move beyond that? Certainly that piece of logic makes sense to be able to question and say,
1: well, this was something they were wrong about. Is it possible they were wrong about other things? Um, but if you, uh, if you look at the actual essential, and this is why I'm, I'm trying to say that the, the essential part of, of the American system isn't primarily about voting or the worship of the vote, as I sometimes characterize it as, um, it isn't about the democracy, it's about individuals. And so if you try to pull out that thread, and this is, I think, what the founders got right, um, and that's what allowed them to correct, the, them and our society to correct the mistakes that they made. So it was a piece of, it was an idea that is timeless, that was that properly implemented, allowed people to say, okay, individuals are what matter regardless of the color of their skin or their gender, it's individuals that we're trying to protect the rights of. Um, and that allowed for basically a self-correcting mechanism. But it is it is perfectly reasonable to say, well, does the electoral college, is that an old system? Is that something that, that doesn't any longer protect individual rights? But the people who are challenging the electoral college are not holding individual rights and the preciousness of indivi- each individual for their own uh Life and self-government and property—they're uh, not using that as the ideal. They're wanting the accumulation uh, and and deployment of power just by their own their own group, and, and that's where we get into this whole idea of tribal warfare, um, which we've spoken on this this podcast before about tribalism and collectivism, and and mostly um, I view collectivism and tribalism as a negative thing in the sense of if that's if you're if you're trying to say, you know, this is a gang or a group of people that I identify with, and we, because we have power, we have enough power, we can take advantage of the people who don't have the numbers. Um, Again, that's a violation of individual rights. And there's plenty of examples of that uh, throughout history is, you know, both going back to ancient Greece and even today. I mean, people are, believe that they have, and it's important to be able to get enough people, enough, numbers to vote, to say, okay, now we can take other people's property. Um, We can, uh, we can increase someone's taxes because we have a majority. Um, We can decide that they don't, they don't have a right to their, uh, uh, the property of their business or whatever they may may have produced. Um, And that's, that's the road to, I mean, I sometimes, this may be extreme, but I sometimes use the idea of, you know, that's the road to cannibalism. We're going to eat ourselves. We're, if we, if we don't recognize again individual rights and their right to their life, their pursuit of happiness, their property that they've earned, uh, then we we basically throw uh, the rule of law to the wind and we have um, something that would devolve into uh, a really ugly brutal system
0: so what is it then, Mike what is it what's the essence of the republic of a government founded on rule of law that makes it so much better at recognizing and protecting individual rights. We've talked a little bit about, of course, majorities coming in and taking away people's businesses, in many cases, people's lives. But what is it about the republic that you're talking about that makes it better at actually protecting people's rights? You mean mechanically what makes it better or makes it right? Why mechanically is it better? Because I, I just imagine a lot of people I know would say, they just don't believe it. They, they would say that the will of the people is absolute. And So would those
1: same people, I mean, and we're kind of role playing here, but it, would those same people say, yeah, if the will of the people says we should uh, enslave half the population because of the color of their skin, would they say, yeah, that's what I mean by the will of the people?
0: Well, I think a lot of people would say, You know, especially progressives would say we are progressing and look, look how far we've come in 150 years. We've gotten rid of slavery. We're continuing to get better. We're evolving as dangerous as this is to say human nature is changing, right? So this antiquated idea of a republic, maybe that's just not necessary anymore. So like
1: that's a really good uh, introduction to the, the the idea of where progressivism came from in the first place. I mean, historically, the the intellectually and historically, the the progressives started right after the Civil War, shortly after the Civil War, and and as uh, as our mutual friend uh, Dr. Tom Cranawitter sometimes uh, talks about, you know, progressivism was a reaction to the devastation of the Civil War, and then it was the importation of some really bad philosophy, fundamental philosophy from Europe and, and Germany in particular. Um, and, and that is the kind of package deal that happens, where, I mean, who can be against uh, progr- progress? You know, don't you want people to progress and have better lives? And, and so this whole idea of progressivism got packaged with the idea of freedom, uh, but an evolving human nature, and therefore we need to let go of some of the institutions, even though we're using the the language of freedom. And and the early progressives uh, in in American politics, whether it was Teddy Roosevelt or uh, Woodrow Wilson or or uh, FDR, who was a progressive, I mean, all those people used couched authoritarianism, basically uh, using the language of progress and ultimately trying to underlie it with the freedom ideals of the founders. And that's the only way they could sell it to the American people. Um, first I would say, uh, if for anyone who says that human nature is evolving and changing, they should prove that they should, they should be able to make a case that uh, that really is, is happening. My view is that it might be happening over over centuries uh, or millennium, but in, in any real meaningful way, the essence of what makes a human being is their ability to think and function by thinking, by use of their mind. Uh, that's what makes us different from, from all the other uh, animals and plants on Earth. Uh, there, there's such a thing as an entity that's living, and that includes all those things, plants and animals and human beings. Uh, but how do human beings live? They live by use of their mind. And that's that's the fundamental reason why people need freedom. Because the mind doesn't function by force. You, know, you can't force someone to think. They have to choose. It's a volitional act. It's a choice to say, you know, you're presenting me with information and facts and evidence. And I have to integrate that. I have to choose to say does this make sense to me? And how do I think about that? It it takes effort to think. And that's how human beings ultimately, ultimately survive and thrive in this world and and do well. Um, And, and that, that means they, they are productive and ultimately they produce values and surplus value including, you know, quote profits. And, and when they have surplus value, that means they have uh, things to trade with. And that's the wonderful part of our, our free enterprise capitalist system where they trade values and, and, and enjoy each other by by providing value to each other in mutual trade. I know that's a mouthful, but that's that's the kind of system that, that has produced anywhere it's been tried, both here in North America and the U.S., but anywhere it's been tried to the extent that it's been tried throughout human history that has, has actually benefited uh, the multitudes. Uh, that's what's so amazing is the people who talk about, you know, the greatest good for the greatest numbers, that's not really a good justification. That's not rational in my mind. But by, by coincidence, that is the system that actually does benefit the most people by far. The system that recognizes the individual and enshrines the individual's right to their own life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, including property, uh, is the system that actually does benefit more people than any, any other system.
0: So then, mechanically, why is it that a republic is better at protecting a person's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness?
1: So it recognizes that human nature, the need to think, uh, and it rec- and it's. I mean, this is something that's not spoken of, of enough. But the founding system, the founders, and the culture that created the founding generation, and the the the, the movement that was uh, coming. In a sense, sweeping the world, certainly Western Europe and then over to North America in the uh, English colonies, was the system of the Enlightenment, uh, of recognizing reason and the power of reason. Uh, Certainly with the the scientific revolution, uh, which gave birth to the Industrial Revolution, which gave birth to the U.S., it's that idea of human nature requiring reason um, and then instituting a government that recognized that recognize the need for rationality, objectivity. I mean, this is a a tradition we have in our our court systems is is saying you, you have to present evidence, you have to be thoughtful, you have to be rational, you have to be reasonable about deciding whether someone's guilty or not or deciding whether someone's violated someone else. It has to follow a process. So the due process and the rule of law are the mechanics of protecting rational human beings. People who think, people who think and produce and trade with each other, as opposed to using force against each other.
0: So then, bringing it back to a topic we spoke about a little earlier the Electoral College, indirectly elected senators, in other words, directed by state legislatures, a Supreme Court that has a lifetime appointment free from external coercion. Why is it that those are better suited at? protecting the rule of law.
1: Well, again, they're all institutions designed to be deliberative and rational versus emotional um, and subject to whim or the, everyone knows, anyone who's uh, past the age of maybe five or six, um, they may be conscious of this or maybe not conscious of this, but every human being say that from the age of five or six. Understands what I mean in a sense by gang or mob rule or the 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 emotion of the crowd. People get caught up in that. Um, people get caught up. Uh, you know, peer pressure sometimes is you know the, the bully or the loudest or the person who's actually somehow may, maybe more charismatic is moving the crowd. They're 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 moving the crowd toward action, and that may be good in in, in terms of being inspirational.
0: But oftentimes it's a very negative thing. A capital attack. <laughs> By the way, January sixth, we could see what happened. That's right. Mob mentality, That's a perfect right?
1: example. You're talking about a mob mentality. Now, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of questions still unanswered about, you know, who instigated it and and how much how much uh, pre planning was happening or you know was there some kind of uh, default on the uh, purposeful default on the part of the police and the security, uh, but. But that you're exactly right. Anyone who observes that can see that as an example of the mob acting based on the fervor of the moment, not thinking rationally about what are the consequences if I do this? what are the consequences for me individually? What are the consequences in terms of our of our uh, our institutions and uh, or, their, or their family? it was it was a certainly an emotional. Mob mentality, and that's a, a perfect example of something we don't want to see often, and we certainly don't want to institute it in our government. We want the opposite of that. We want reason. We want objectivity. We want due process. We want deliberation. We want facts. We want we want um, our government to make long term decisions, not just about what they might get them elected again. You know what might uh, uh, feel good right now. We want wisdom reason we want those things to rule our 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 government and our processes and that is what a republic does if it's properly uh has the mission or the purpose of of protecting individual rights and and those institutions again you know is it possible you could have a judiciary that wasn't appointed to lie for life and still protected individual rights is it possible you could have a different combination of things in our institutions that don't look exactly like we have right now, but that did have and enshrined that purpose of uh, protecting the individual rights. Absolutely. Most people uh, who are, who've studied this and who are advocates for freedom, uh, for truly allowing individuals to flourish and, and be self-governed, uh, recognize the genius of how the the founders thought and came up with all those institutions. Um, does that mean they were infallible? No. Um, there could be other things that would be better at protecting, uh, our individual rights. In fact, there, there are probably things that, that are in the constitution itself. I mean, there's a lot of language right now. Uh, the welfare clause has been one of the most confusing things that, that people, uh, don't get straight in terms of protecting individual rights or, or the commerce clause. There's all kinds of parts of our constitution that use language that they, the founders probably meant differently than are being inter- interpreted today. Uh, it has to be something that is kept alive on an ongoing basis. You know, it's that that phrase of freedom. Freedom won't last from generation to generation until unless people actually digest, understand, and fight for freedom. Um, I made a comment recently in a presentation. I said, you know, if you're if you think you're an American by just being born here, you're being lazy. America is a set of ideas. Uh, it's the first country in the history of the world. That was established based on ideals like that, ideas, not okay. Someone ran over and conquered somebody else, but no. The, here's here's a, a philosophical idea: the the idea that each individual has their own the right to their own life, liberty, and property. That's a that's a set of ideas that is not self evident. I mean, as much as I agree with the the sentiment of the Declaration that those are self evident truths, in many ways they're not. They have to be chewed on and understood. And certainly to be an effective citizen, to understand the kind of form of government we have, you have to make a choice to become a citizen. So it's lazy to say that you're, you're an American just by birth. I mean, obviously people have citizenship by, by, being, by, by being born here, but, but it's lazy to think they're truly an American in the sense of I'm, that I'm talking about and understand
0: these ideas. And I was there to see that speech, Mike, and I think it's spot on. So I'm glad you brought that up. Before you sign off, Mike, one thing that I want to bring up, too, that I think we've touched on throughout the whole evening, but haven't really gone into, the Federalist Papers. A lot of people, particularly on the left, will say this Constitution was written, but we really, who knows what they really meant. We can't get inside their heads. Well, as it turns out, in a lot of matters, we can get inside their heads because they wrote the Federalist Papers. And there is so I mean there is a wealth, an embarrassment of riches in the Federalist Papers. And one of the phrases that's used in those documents, it's something called the vigorous and manly spirit of the people. And I think that was a paper written by James Madison. And what he meant by that phrase was when the republic is threatened, there will be a vigorous and manly spirit of the people. And by manly, you know, I think what he means there is a, a very robust response to defending liberty, defending freedom. And I think that that vigorous and, and what he calls manly spirit of the people is a two-sided coin. And we've touched on that tonight. So on one hand... The vigorous and manly spirit of the people is necessary to actually ensure that liberty continues to be enshrined in our government. But on the flip side of that coin, what happens when that becomes a mob mentality and the vigorous and manly spirit of the people is used for nefarious purposes? And I think. What you've gotten at tonight, Mike, is this idea that our founding documents, in a way to truly protect individual rights, our right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, property, all that sort of thing, the founders really threaded this needle between understanding that government is founded by the will of the people, while also understanding That there needs to be a stable rule of law that is not constantly changed by the passions of the time. And I think what I've heard you say tonight is really what's nice about the American system as envisioned is that it did thread that needle or has tried very hard to thread that needle and find the balance. Is that a fair assessment?
1: I think that's fair. I think I think you're right about pointing out the fact that uh, that the Federalist Papers and the all the wealth of information we have about what they wrote. I mean, we could go back to Athens, and there are certainly some surviving documents from uh, Plato, Aristotle, um, and some of the ancients, and certainly in Rome as well. Um, but w- in the context of human history, the founding is still fairly recent and we have a lot of good uh, documentation on what they, and context on what they said and what they meant. Um, And those words and that context do explain, not just rationalize, but explain the thinking uh, and the historical lessons that they were drawing from. And, and, it's not just nice that they threaded the needle. It's, it's crucial for the understanding of people in terms of a system that actually protects rights. And we've again, we've seen the consequences of that. We've seen this, this incredible um, pl- proliferation of wealth building, uh, spirituality, freedom in any system that's, that's done anything like this. Um, but people oftentimes mistake the, the essence of it. Certainly, you, know, you need that will of the people, the consent of the governed, and that's a whole different topic. We could spend even more time on the, what that means, the consent of the governed. Um, but the idea of it coming from the people, the people r- being self-ruled, but institu- instituting this, this um, government to protect them, to basically delegating and saying, okay, we can't ourselves in every single situation make the call. We actually have to delegate the the use of power, the use of force um, to a rational institution we call government that has all these pro- processes, due process and, um, and objectivity instituted to protect ourselves Um, and i agree with you that's that is that's why it's important for people to realize and make the connection between uh, political freedom and economic freedom Uh, and that and that's oftentimes another confusion that people have is although as
0: milton friedman would say they are connected
1: they are they're crucially connected Um, in one sense you can't i don't believe you can have one with the, the other long term now there are certain societies who have elements of economic freedom, but have more authoritarianism and vice versa. But those are waning elements. So one side is going to ultimately win out. And that's that's partly what we have today in, in the US. We have a mixed economy. We certainly have a lot of freedom, but we don't really have the freedom that the founders envisioned. And we don't have the freedom necessary to have ongoing progress. If you care about human progress, truly progress, um, we're actually regressing in some ways. And we're living off the the accomplishments of prior generations who actually did digest and 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 were uh, uh, healthy citizens in that way, uh, understanding the purpose of government. Um, and the purpose of our podcast here, to sort of wrap up, is that is to discuss these ideas of capitalism, the only moral socioeconomic system, and how they're connected to the institutions that we have in government and otherwise, cultural, um, and to advocate for them and have... Have people who care about other people and care about the future of their children and society um, advocate for such a free society?
0: Well, Mike, I know that based on our conversation, I have a lot to think about. I think we've delved into these ideas in a way that not a lot of other people have really thought about our government in this way or this idea of democracy versus a republic versus authoritarianism. I just don't think on our day to day, we just don't even really think about these things. And as we started off this podcast saying, the word democracy is often thrown around as a correlate for freedom. And as I think we've explored, that really should not be two words that necessarily should be connected or synonymous.
1: Yeah, if, I, if there were one thing I would want people to take away is to question that, whether you know that is the essence of, of of freedom, um, you know, and I think we've given several examples of how, you know, when you have majority rule, that can be taking people's freedom away, and and that's a simplified way of looking at it. But that's in essence what we're talking about: is uh, democracy itself uh, is not equal to freedom, and many times will threaten freedom uh, if it if it does if it isn't subject to the rule of law and to due process, so to speak.
0: Well, thank you, Mike. You've given me a lot to think about.
1: Good. I hope hopefully you and the rest of our audience has, and I'll definitely be thinking about it more. I'll look forward to our next episode, um, and uh, hopefully, you'll be joining me for that, Mitch. Well, I hope so. Signing off from the Liberty Cast Studios in Centennial, Colorado. This is Michael Williams with the Defenders of Capitalism Project. You've been listening to our Capital Idea. And we're looking forward to talking to you next time. Be safe.